Hey everyone and welcome to episode 12. Today, I want to briefly talk about the presidential election and the debate that happened last night. Um, so we had the first debate between Trump and Biden last night. So I was, I was pretty optimistic going into it. Um, so I knew this wasn't going to be the typical CNN, NBC, MSNBC, Fox News hyped up primary style debates. I assumed this would be a little bit better because, it, you know, it's a true presidential debate between the candidates of both parties, not a primary debate, a debate who, uh, debate that's facilitated by the Commission on Presidential Debates. So I assumed that, um, I assumed certain things. I assumed it would be just a standard, more standard debate. I mean, you can't assume anything given given the candidate we have, given President Trump, who's very different, who's truly different than any other president that has come before him in his willingness to put aside certain customs and traditions that have been very important to the United States, even though they're not codified, even though they're not written down, we still have our very own customs and traditions. For example, the, you know, the UK, England, I don't know the right way to say it, I guess, Probably England, the UK is is the UK in general, but England itself, or Great Britain itself, one of those. I some I honestly get confused with the terminology, but one of Great Britain basically. Um, there's you know there's a discussion, uh, there's a there, I mean there's an ongoing discussion about whether they have a constitution or not. So in the US, we have a formal written constitution that was written and it articulates three branches of government and how we run our system, and then we have amendments to the constitution. Um, and the first 10 of those are called the Bill of Rights. So after we made the Constitution, they said, oops, we forgot. We have these 10 key things that we need to put. So they added them as amendments to the Constitution. Um, and then in the, in the UK and Great Britain and England, not in the UK because countries in the UK would probably have their own constitutions, maybe written ones. I guess in England proper, they don't have a proper written constitution similar to how other Western countries do. They're, they're unique in that sense. They don't have a proper constitution and their constitution is more of an amalgamation of some parliamentary uh, documents, some other types of documents um, like the Magna Carta, for example, and custom and tradition and case law. So you combine all that in a blender, starting basically from the Magna Carta Starting from the Magna Carta, I think was in the thirteenth or twelfth century, um, one of those. So starting with that all the way through today, um, a giant blender of of written stuff like the Magna Carta, written documents, plus tradition, plus custom, plus case law. So. What you have is a very complex institution. It's hard to just go in and reference. So this is the Constitution of England, of Great Britain. You can't really do that. Uh, It's more of you you say this exists, this thing exists, but no one could really see it. It, Whenever we need to know is this part of the U.S., uh, is this part of the English Constitution, it's more of a discussion that happens. Um, and you basically have to show or prove uh, certain things, more like a legal case. That's kind of how it's 
approach. I'm not sure if I'm describing it well. I, I think I might not be describing it very well. But in the U.S., it's something different. We have a written constitution, and of course, there's different levels of interpretation that are applied, and there's different thoughts and doctrines about how much interpretation should be applied. But no matter what, we still have that written document to go off of. So we're quite different than than something like England. But the problem is a written document is never enough. It, the whole thing that's happening in D.C., the whole thing that's been happening with our country for 240 years, the fact that we're a country and all these things are happening in Washington that makes government continue, not everything's written down. Most of it is not written down. Most of it is just custom and tradition and ways of behaving and being. And so a lot of the stuff that we thought were normal, um, a lot of that stuff is not codified. It's just tradition and custom. And somebody can come in and say, hey, I'm going to take this tradition. I'm going to take this custom and I'm going to throw it out the window. I'm going to toss it out the window and I'm going to instead focus on myself or whatever I want to. I'm not going to focus on uh, being in line with this understood custom and tradition. So when when that happens, you rightly, correctly, you say, hey, you're not you're not acting right. Hey, Trump, you're not acting like every other president before. You're not following effectively our quote-unquote expanded constitution or like Constitution 2.0, which is the Constitution plus our customs and traditions. You're not following those, right? In, in, the, in England, they would have an easier time thinking about that. They, they don't necessarily think that everything has to be codified. They, uh, they have a, a bigger, deeper respect for custom and tradition uh, than, than we do here, actually, in the United States. So the, they, a custom and a tradition in the U.S., kind of seems like a low, far lower tier than something written or codified like the constitution in in England that gap is a little smaller you don't you don't view you view custom and tradition uh, as a, as a near kind of near uh something written maybe not quite but kind of near so in the US we get freaked out we're like oh my god what's happening this guy's not following our customs and traditions. Well, and we don't know how to like deal with that. Where do what do we look to? Where do we appeal to? Is there something in the Constitution? Is there something I don't know in, in some law that says you can act a certain way or not? Usually, no. Usually, it's custom and tradition. And last night's debate was a great example of that. We had a president of the United States who acted like a petulant child instead of acting like a like a president, instead of acting presidential. Now, we've had foolish and buffoonish presidents in our past, right? I mean, let's let's think about this. Let's start going back. Barack Obama, okay, no, no major scandal, and he tried his best to be charismatic, but eh, a lot of people don't think Barack Obama was that charismatic. A lot of people don't think he was that charming, although he was definitely an eloquent speaker. Um... Then we have Bush. Let's look at Bush. Um, def, uh, quite, uh, quite a bit more buffoonish, to be honest. More buffoonish, it seems, than Barack Obama with all his gaffes. Uh, you know, all those funny gaffes. You can even YouTube it. Uh, George Bush gaffes. Uh, but still, presidential. Still a certain respect for customs and traditions. As you would see, if you just YouTube a debate. I mean, you, YouTube any other presidential debate. You can go back and YouTube Obama Mitt Romney debates, Obama McCain debates, Bush debates with uh, with Al Gore, 
and uh, Bush debates with John Kerry. Look at those. That that start with that. That's what's in the twenty first century, and see how different last night's debate was. So primary debates, I don't care. Primary debates are different. Um, I don't want you to think that I'm, I'm mixing the two. So primary debates, we've seen a clear trend of going towards radical insanity on both sides. So Fox News with their ridiculousness and, um, and you know, the liberals with their ridiculousness on CNN and just these quick, soundbitey, weird, crazy debates uh, like like asking stupid questions, saying, raise your hand if you believe in this or not or that. No context provided. Um, not a good moderator just very weird stuff so not that kind of stuff that's a whole different ball game i'm talking about proper presidential debates you know they're generally pretty moderate and calm and even keeled even i would i would even say the debate between hillary clinton and trump in 2016 debates then were a little more relaxed and even keeled what happened last night was quite crazy uh, inter- interrupting of biden Biden did some interrupting himself, but to be honest, Biden came off better than I expected. He was more articulate than I expected. He was a little tougher than I expected. I liked it. I liked seeing that. Trump, I, I mean, <clears throat> the problem is Trump didn't, there's so much, uh, how can I put this? It's not that hard to be Biden in debate. A lot of what Biden believes doesn't make a lot of sense, right? And Biden, uh, He's just he's just a career politician who hasn't really been that effective. It doesn't take a political genius to be able to beat him in a debate. Last night as I was watching, I was like, oh my goodness, you're not articulating some of the core points uh, well. Somebody else could articulate them better. So hopefully Mike Pence does that better with Kamala Harris. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm quite looking forward to the vice presidential debate to see two adults, two healthy-minded adults, what we saw, well, what we saw with this presidential debate was, was one man that appears to be very old, but he came off very good yesterday. I mean, he uh, he was at his best yesterday in terms of that that kind of uh, old age stuff. He he was sharp. He didn't forget too many things. Um, obviously, he forgot some and went off trail on some, but he was pretty okay with a lot of that. So he he did he did okay there. I thought it was going to completely just not do well there. Um, but but like you could tell he's a grandpa. He's not like in a few years, he's not going to be all there anymore. He's aging fast and he's already aged. So you could see that, right? And him talking for an hour, you could see it's an old man talking. It just is. And then on the other side, you have somebody who has real mental problems. Clearly, uh, something happened to Trump during his life. And I think there. I think this has actually been written about. I mean, things that his upbringing. And of course, it wasn't a cruel, crazy upbringing. I mean, it's not like there's obviously a spectrum of upbringings, right? And there will be many people in the world that would say I would give an arm and a leg to have Trump's upbringing, because theirs were so terrible. Of course, everything's relative. But relatively speaking, it wasn't a good upbringing, and it was the kind that would produce quite a bit he seems genetically predisposed to this and his upbringing seems to produce um a personality that's at the same time narcissistic as it is deeply and severely insecure um ego egotistical and hyper confident while at the same time being 
um, childish, foolish, and not evincing any kind of understanding of social cues and social customs and what's expected. But, but then Trump has his own mentality. He has his own mindset. Maybe he's doing this for TV. He knows what good TV is. So don't underestimate him there. He's not a, he's not a moron. You don't get to be president of the United States if you're a moron. Anyone who says he's a moron is him or herself a moron. Because if Trump is the president of the United States, he raised children that are capable, decent people. He's not a complete fuck-up in life. So he's smart, very smart. He beat the Clinton and the Democratic machine in 2016. So he knows what he's doing. And I think he knows TV well, and I think he's... I honestly think he's a TV man. He seems like he cares so much about TV. Um, and he's so good at it. It's just good TV watching him. So so it's kind of hard to see. So it feels like the vice presidential debate is going to be more healthy minds, fresh minds, and less less kind of weird and crazy personalities. Like normal to normal, competent adults talking out the issues without kind of the Trump insanity and the kind of the grab pawness of biden which is just there you can deny you can say it's not but then come on if if you if you hear him speak and he's every you know couple of uh every couple of minutes he's missing something and he's forgetful come on come on you could tell that he's just like a grandpa like he reminds me of my grandpa it's not that big of a deal. It's simply not that big of a deal. There's nothing wrong with saying it. And the Democrats pretending like there is something wrong to say it and policing our speech, and especially about a presidential candidate, not about some random person. Leave a random person alone. Don't bother a random person. Who would? Don't do it. But when you're when you're in politics for your whole life and you're seeking to become president of the United States, yeah, your whole thing should be in scrutiny, under scrutiny in the same way that it's it's absolutely unacceptable. Absolutely unacceptable that Trump hasn't revealed his taxes. If you're running for the presidency of the United States, the, the most the hot, the most sacred and highest office in our country, you have to be open with the American people. You're not a normal person anymore. You're not just a typical civilian anymore at a deep moral level, in my opinion. It's, that's not articulated in the Constitution, but that should be our custom and tradition that you, you're, the, the things that me and you care about, the things that we care about, privacy and, and certain things about dignity and due process and... Uh, just w- w- the way we we think we should live our lives and and have our our own little circle of privacy, that that for a president should not necessarily be there. The president should stand there and be willing to say no. I don't care if like if I was running for high office, I would I would put myself open to the people. That's what should be done. That should be our custom. That's important. Um, I'm saddened that that's not our custom in, in this great country. It must be our custom. We have to develop that. Um, because what Trump, what Trump is doing, saying, oh, I'm not going to reveal my taxes, saying, oh, they're under audit, under audit for years. It's just complete nonsense. It's completely unacceptable. He, sh- he must reveal his taxes. He should have revealed his taxes. It, it's, it's a moral issue. It's, it's a deep moral issue. You can't be president and hide from the American people. It's okay. You could still love Trump. You could still like Trump. You could still reluctantly support Trump. All you could do all those things. Even if you find out that he's kind of a fraud in terms of being a businessman, that he's kind of a fraud in terms of being rich, that he kind of doesn't care, that he doesn't want to pay too much taxes. 
all those things could exist and you could still say, okay, I still like Trump more than Biden. You could say that. Those things can coexist. We're grown adults, right? We could see in gray. It's not just black and white. So just like that, 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 uh, that stuff with Trump, we have the same things with Biden. You can't police our speech. You can't tell us not to say Biden is an old man and that he, he appears senile to some people and that we, if you, and that we don't want a president that's senile. We don't want an old president. We don't want that. Under no circumstances do we want a senile president of the United States. That's okay to say and if you tell me that I can't say it, that's insanity. Then you're violating our tradition and our custom. Then you're deeply, deeply un-American if you're policing my language about that. That's insane. The America I grew up in, I remember my elementary school, my middle school years, my high school years, but specifically my elementary school years and the things I was taught about America and the things I believed in America, the things I still believe about America, the, the, these, these far-left liberal, hyper-liberal Democrats, and maybe you can't even call them Democrats, hyper-liberal, on deep, deep, deep far-left, those people, the speech policing, the... Like the the basically the Marxist speech policing, that's not acceptable, at all. And the the Marxist insane, it's almost like a combination of fascist and Marxist tendencies combined in one. Uh, that that's not acceptable. And the and the and moderate Democrats, and there are tons of them. Most of them are moderate. Most Democrats are moderate. Have to stand up to that and say, hey hey hey, no way, no freaking the way, no fucking way. A Democrat must stand up. A Democrat must stand up and say, I support Biden, but I also support your right to criticize Biden. If you say you think he's senile, okay, that's what you think. It's not that big of a deal. I'm not going to say, oh, you're morally a piece of shit. You're a piece of trash if you believe that. We, should, we shouldn't listen to you. We should deplatform you. We should do bad things to you. We should consider you outside of our community. None of those things should happen. That's deeply un-American when you do that. That's deeply un-American. Um, yeah, I'm very frightened for what's happening, but I'm also optimistic in some ways. I think, I think, techn- I, I, I think technology has a lot of risks, but I think it has a lot of benefits in bringing us together and making us, um, more immune to whatever craziness happens in DC. Maybe in 50 years, I envision a world where we're far less dependent on what's happening in Washington, DC. The last ties of dependency are maybe cut, uh, in terms of like healthcare, if imagine we have a revolution in technology and healthcare, for example, where you can get accessible healthcare for like a subscription of a hundred bucks a month, you get you get everything you need in terms of healthcare, including like some insurance, because you have like tech companies that made it happen, things like Forward and One Medical, um, and you have like test the DNA testing like Twenty Three and Me and Invite, things like that. Imagine fifty years from now, like right now in in poor parts of the world you could take they have smartphone apps where they could take pictures of like uh, bumps or lumps or, or discolorings on their skin and artificial intelligence will put the true artificial intelligence using neural networks and, and programming and training will predict whether there's cancer risk or whether it's cancer or no think about that like that just accessible to everyone who can download the app that's a serious step forward more and more of those and maybe 50 years from now the healthcare debate about universal healthcare it'll be an old-fashioned an irrelevant old debate we'll say oh yeah 
the new generation will say our great our parents or grandparents or great grandparents they talked about universal health care all that stuff now it, it'll seem irrelevant to them why even have that discussion when for only a hundred bucks a month you get access to world-class care powered by your phone artificial intelligence in your phone to start powered by a bunch of smart sensors in your house powered by telecommunications with the best doctors around the world and then when needed physical offices but rarely so much of healthcare can be done without the physical offices without the you know most the most if you if you, if you had pervasive technology and sensors in your home and a regulatory system that you know made everything flow smoothly you, now probably 80% of your stuff could be done at home and then 20% this is just off the top of my head and then 20% could be done in person obviously if you know you're, you you need if you need to do tests if you need to do certain things you may have to be there but even for tests so think about that imagine you have a peloton that could do most of your testing for you uh it does whatever you know that stuff you know when you're running and then they they check your lung capacity imagine you have a peloton accessory that does that in the future think about what kind of world we could be in so that's one example with with healthcare and maybe with other things the same thing will happen maybe education will transform and be online and affordable and cheap so I'm optimistic in that sense. I think technology uh, does pose a big risk, of course. Privacy, um, deep operational risks, deep concentration risks uh, that I'm not going to get into. But, but I mean, deep risks for society and and some personal risk as well, of course. But there is also a lot of benefits if used properly that could make us immune to kind of some of the craziness that we're seeing. Um, If this were 100 years ago and we were, you know, this was 100 years ago. We were on the brink of, uh, you know, what we were seeing. That would be scary. But I think we we're in a little bit of, I hope we're in a more robust situation now because of our interconnectedness. I, I didn't think this before, to be honest. But but COVID has made me a little bit more optimistic because I see technology, if we use it well, it could be a very strong tool for us. Uh, that's it. Thanks.